When you know what you want for the future, you need the present to line up with your goals. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs in healthcare, engineering, criminal justice, and more. So you can get to your future and beyond. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are things? Some things are awesome. Some things are almost awesome. Okay. Well, you know, on on the various, you know, stages of the awesome scale, Mm -hmm. if you're on the, whatever, the right side of that, all's good. Mm -hmm. All the things, as they say. All all the things. Some of the things. Hey, you know. If you get you get some of the things being awesome, you could be doing worse. That's right. So speaking of awesome, uh-huh. what's in my cup? Well, Tom, thank you for asking. Today's coffee is a small batch, single origin Ethiopia Yergachev from Perla Specialty Roasters in Coral Gables, Florida, a place I think known to you. I know it well. Yes. Yes. One of the things that struck me when I opened the shipping envelope containing the the bag of freshly roasted whole bean coffee was this very prominent QR code. They had it like taped right across the, you know, where you want to open up the thing. Like you can't, you can't not see this QR code. You got to remove it in order to open the thing. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I scanned it. And then, you know, I also was like, oh, what's this? A little card fell out of the envelope when I opened the bag and it was a redundant QR code link. I mean, is it the same thing? Yes, it's the same one. And it was this whole brewing guide for this particular batch of this particular coffee. You know, stuff like, well, for this brewing method, you want to have this ratio of water to coffee. You want to have this many minutes of brewing, you know, exactly. So you don't do espresso, you don't do French press, you want to do pour over. And um, two different little videos and a little text summary just just for this. And I thought, huh, boy, they are taking this Seriously. And you don't normally get that. What you normally get is, oh, we we recommend, you know, here at our roastery, we recommend these kind of ratios. You don't get, we roasted this last Thursday, and here's here's the deal. <laughs> here's what we want you to do. And you're like, huh, they want me to have an exceptional cup of coffee, which, you know, I'm in favor of. But I thought, well, the jaded among us, uh, we'll call them Tom. Uh, the ha <laughs> Like, this is probably just like a marketing ploy. This is this is hype. You know, it kind of you know it can kind of feel that way, right? And I don't know. I I, I held out hope for a really great uh, cup of coffee, and it made me just a little bit neurotic as I was trying to get the you know the time, <laughs> the brewing time exactly right, and, and all that stuff. Anyway, what do you think of this coffee, Tom? And could you find a connection uh, in there somewhere to today's episode topic? Uh, I do like the coffee. It's very good, and I do like Coral Gables. I spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I, I will say that uh, that um, people who take their coffee seriously, I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just, I, I just don't have it in me. You know, mostly I, I need to know how many scoops of the instant <laughs> to get it to dissolve properly in the hot water. Um, so as far as the connection goes. 
I don't know. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm struggling a little bit with the connection. If you know, it it sounded very instructional. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. You yeah, know, sure. and kind of educational yeah, about right, how right, to right, right. how to brew a good cup of coffee. And um and you know, <laughs> we're going to talk about instructional methods. As one does. <laughs> As one does, including video. Um, but uh, but I'm I'm assuming that's probably not what you had in mind. Yeah, that's, that's as good a connection as any. Um, I was thinking particularly of the potential bifurcation between hype and helpfulness and hope to be found in mm. these this these instructions, this brewing guide. You know, is it hype or is it? You know, is it is it going to bring me some hope that it's going to be really helpful? Okay. So I thought, you know, that hope versus hype thing. I get that. Yeah, there's a bit of that in our episode yeah, today. That's yeah. right. Okay. So maybe I'll say that uh, you, Tom, recently interviewed Jeff Young, and uh, undoubtedly many of our TopCast listeners are familiar with that name. Uh, Jeff Young is currently the managing editor of Ed Surge and the producer and host of the popular Ed Surge on Air podcast. And previously, for many years, he was a reporter and editor at the Chronicle of Higher Education. So you want to tell us a little bit about what this interview was about? Yeah, I've known Jeff for years. Good guy. He's got his finger kind of on the pulse of what's going on in our in our industry. And um, we, we talked specifically about a, an article that that was published in Ed Surge in, in May that, that was sort of lessons learned from the mm-hmm. pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we just th- used that as a, as a jumping off point for a, mm-hmm. for a, a wide-ranging conversation. All righty. Well, through the technological marvel that is modern podcast time travel, here is your interview with Jeff Young. So, Jeff, thank you so much for agreeing to be on TopCast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, what I thought we might talk about is um, one of the articles that you co-wrote recently. It came out in May um, in, in Ed Surge, and um, it, it talked about sort of lessons learned through the pandemic. And the pandemic has been a theme of TopCast over the past two and a half years or yeah. so, uh, as it has been, I know, for, for a lot of uh, media and podcasts and just life, right? Yeah. Um, but as I went went through that article, uh, something kind of occurred to me, kind of as just as a as a way to frame the discussion. It, it seemed like the lessons learned that were discussed kind of fell into two different categories. Um, in one sense, there were some very practical kinds of uh, suggestions, things like uh, f- flipped courses as a as a you know, a growth out of the pandemic, virtual reality, um, student supports in courses. And then there were, as another category of lessons learned that seemed much broader with kind of more abstract kind of implications, things like we should be more student-centered, we should have more empathy, um, and how will universities work in the future, which is probably a much larger topic. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of share that observation with you and see if that was sort of by design or is that just how the feedback came back to you when you interviewed all these leaders? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I feel like it was it was probably more coming out of the leaders we talked to because we try, you know, especially with this exercise, it's been such a time, right? We've all been through some big stuff. And um, 
we were really interested. You know, the I've been covering, as you know, the space for a long time um, for Ed Surge and even before that at the Chronicle for Education, where I was before. So I've been reporting on higher ed and a lot of it on that time on innovation and technology for a couple decades, actually. And, you know, we we basically wanted, we went into this story saying, well, you know, we, we used to see a lot of people like you, you as well at conferences, a lot of innovation leaders at colleges, at the conferences we go to, all the things that got shut down during the pandemic. And so, um, Meanwhile, I, so I, we kind of had a list of people we were interested in reaching out to at a, at a mix of institution types, right? Um, you know, we've got somebody from Stanford. That's a very high-end, high-resourced institution. And, you know, we also have somebody at a, a Elgin Community College, right? A community right. college we know, and we really work hard at EdSurge to, you know, we know how how big and different higher ed is as its different facets. And so we wanted to get a, a cross section of types of universities and just talk to some people we know are just really up on things and what and to hear both what they see at their own institutions as the most lasting lessons and what they're observing from their colleagues who I know they're in touch with still. And and so it really was like try. It was really trying to listen. And I'd say that there's a lot of things that we heard that aren't didn't even make it into the story because we really um, we kind of divided up and each you know there's three reporters that we just kind of each talked to three or four people, and um, you know all of us had a couple little things we wanted to ask, but frankly it was like a listening session. You know what 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 is on your mind? And I would say it was a pretty interesting breakdown i think you've identified it really well like some of it was super practical seeing it's you know professors on their campuses really dive into ideas that might have been there already like a flip classroom and really get to do it because you know suddenly in the emergency remote learning and and then wanting to try to continue it in some form even beyond and then some of it was a soul-searching big picture questions of like are we doing this right how do we how do we kind of make continuous improvement how do we um think about innovation and and working with professors now that we've all gone through this so i think it was a mix of both yeah and i i noticed that diversity of the institutions that were represented and appreciated that too um but but one thing that i felt you know as somebody who's in sort of a leadership position in one of these roles um i i related to everything that was being said, you know, no matter who it was that was kind of the person that was being kind of quoted, um, but it all resonated with me, and it's certainly been consistent with with our experience. Um, like, you know, for example, one of the one of the the folks that that was talking about um, flipped, and how flipped is is going to grow as a result of faculty being exposed to all of these these emergency remote tools like Zoom and everything else. But one of the the quotes is, "What what do we?" actually want to use class time for and it's 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 both a practical but also a very broad philosophical kinds of kind of question yeah it's like a deep thought right that's exactly a one. yeah we're, we're grappling with that here too and uh, i just i just you know wondering if there were any other kinds of insights that kind of popped out like that as you know for at least for the folks that you interviewed when um when you were preparing the article well you know i i, I will say one thing one thing that was on my mind was i've you know, been doing this long enough, and you, I know you covered this back in the day too of the the MOOC craze, right? The massive open online courses, and the one of the things that I heard at that time 
um, was, okay, this is, this could be great for universities because maybe more energy will be devoted to teaching in a, in a academic environment at a lot of colleges, not all, but a lot where the, you know, all the, the kind a lot of the, the professional kind of like what people what get rewarded for is often research or, or maybe within teaching, there isn't as fine grained, uh, uh, an incentive structure to really innovate or to experiment, um, or to even apply the kind of research that's being done on teaching all the time to back into classrooms at institutions where that research is happening, ironically. And so I feel like one of the things that at that time, what is that, 10 years ago, there was a lot of hope that maybe teaching could get its due or maybe more professional time and energy of these smart people that are at these positions um, in professors in classrooms across the land will maybe they'll get to spend more time on it because they've now seen what if there's new incentives with these big open classes and and big infrastructures that were being built up at, at colleges like yours to support the, this kind of experimentation now i feel like you know some of that hype and hope that's a whole other story that we reported and didn't all turn out the way uh the early proponents hoped but um i feel like there's a little bit of a similar moment right now but in a very in that one it was like people chasing a dream maybe in this one it's the the impetus for it is literally the opposite it's coming out of a crisis it's coming out of something terrible that happened to all of us um a scary health crisis of the pandemic and you know certainly nobody wants that and nobody I mean, a lot of people didn't love the silicon valley money pouring into higher ed either but that's another story but you know this health crisis i think has brought an attention to teaching and to the student life that professors you know are, are in the room with the life of these of the students um that it, it just brought that into focus for more professors probably than than in previous times of excitement over technology and teaching and so i do think you know the question again though is what will take what will stick after the crisis ends like what after the big moment where everybody's talking about it and where everybody it's on everybody's mind which you know we hope the pandemic now fades and we can go back to a bit of normalcy with our with our lives as far as that so the question then gets back to, I think, one we faced before. Like, are we have have professors now confronted some of these big, big questions? Like, what do I do with class time? Is it is it best serving students the way I do it, or could something else come? Um, those questions are back on the table. And for more professors than just the kind of an innovative set that is gonna be drawn to that no matter what's going on. Yeah, I think you're so absolutely now right. what? Now does that stick or not? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, and there are certain things that I hope stick, like an emphasis on empathy, right, or being student-centered or some of the other things that are listed in that article that, um, you know, we probably should have been doing more of <laughs> pre-pandemic. But sure. <clears throat> pandemic made just, you know, put a, put a spotlight on, on the need for some of that because, you know, everything kind of got cast into high relief. Students who were in crisis needed extra support and all of, all of that. So yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's funny though if you if you'll indulge me a <laughs> a little a little tangent. Um, I, I was I was reflecting too before we kind of hit record on um, uh, a conference dinner you and I had back in March, and we were talking about um, the metaverse. 
<laughs> and yep. um, I thought about that as I was rereading this article because there is a, a you know a good long section on virtual reality, which should be you know set as distinct from the metaverse, but there's some overlap there. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of feel, we'll see if I'm right or wrong, that there's a little bit of that MOOC hype going on with the metaverse right now that you were kind of just referring to, that, that from 10 years ago, everybody thought MOOC was gonna change everything. And it didn't really. It, some stuff yeah. on the edges, there's some new companies and some new business models, but all, we're still doing what we were doing 10 years ago. And I wonder if, um, if you've thought any more about the metaverse in the context of that kind of just, you know, publicity and hype and Silicon Valley money coming into the higher ed. Well, one thing I will say is that there is a primetime TV ad by Meta, the, you know, formerly known as Facebook, where it literally has a 30 second spot on uh, a vision of a college classroom, a couple different college classroom ideas with in the metaverse, which is a signal that there is a lot of big money being being directed at this. And so that does make it similar to MOOCs in, in that um, impetus and, and, and kind of funding um, rush. Um, and yeah, I think, but the, the other question is, the, the question about whether that is really the thing that will stick. I think there the limitations on VR, um, and one of the things that, that I came into it a little bit, as I think I told you at that dinner, like wondering, is there much there there in some VR experiments? And at a time where there's so many pro of challenges, let's say, to higher education, is that, you know, is that the first battle you pick to, it feels, can feel like a bell and whistle in a time of extreme kind of, you know, uh, structural questions about structural equality and structural like uh, innovations that need to happen to just kind of be effective. And, and so I guess there's that question, but I was struck in our reporting of this story, how the focus on VR was like, okay, if you could build effective, if you could actually afford to build your own VR materials, then maybe it would work in cases where that back to that question of what you use class time for if hands-on and something in our virtual hands-on in that case is better than a lecture then maybe and you can make an affordable you know kind of content creation system which is the i guess the big question around vr that's still out there because nobody knows yet what it'll quite you know what the platform will will mature into um but i think that's the one of the big questions and so I thought it was interesting that the people we talked to honed in on that. Like, you know, it's it wasn't just an excitement for its own sake. It was like, wait, we are hearing that people want to be hands-on and they want to feel like they're experiencing something. And so if VR can be done at scale or at some way that's affordable and accessible, then it's worth a try. It was what I was hearing. And so yeah, well, I'm, I'm open I, to that more than just like, let's build some cool VR things because headsets are neat, neat to look at. Yeah, um, and I, that, that resonated with me too. And, and there was an article or a, a line in the article that, um, that, that you just kind of alluded to, which is that, you know, if institutions can build their own stuff, because there's just not like a publisher ecosystem of virtual content yet, like there is of other kinds of instructional assets from books to videos to everything else, the, the VR content just isn't there yet. Um, so the platform seems to be evolving faster than the actual 
content side of the, side of the ecosystem, which is sort of an interesting development um, to watch as, as time goes by. You know, the other thing I will say really quickly is I saw a demo. I went to ASU GSV, I think it was last year. Like the one, it wasn't the one, um, the most recent one, but it was like two two times ago now. And it was right after, it was like one of the, the first conference I went to after COVID. And there was actually a ASU, um, Arizona State, put on a big, made a big showing. They partnered with a, a VR company in, in Hollywood to like make some VR content. Um, and I sat through the demo. It was really, you know, it was really slick. But I felt like there were a couple things that struck me. One is it was interesting because you were sitting in a room where like six people all had a headset on. And in the virtual space, those six people were there. And that was kind of, that was actually kind of cool. Like a lot of VR demos I go to, it's just so solo, it's so isolated. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, well, if I could go talk to those other, you know, avatars, this that could be really interesting. Maybe they don't even have to be in the same physical room. Um, but the actual demo was very on rails and very isolated and individual. And, you know, that's the challenge is the, there's the possibility and then there's the current reality. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a challenge to be able to take advantage of the, the, the possibilities in that format when it is so expensive to build at the moment to build these environments. But they had taken, basically had taken some entertainment VR environment of, and then try to tack on a, a kind of a, bi, a biology demo that did make sense. I mean, there was some logic to it. So in other words, like, can you take commercial builds of VR and then put in a layer that looks good enough that's customized to the university's needs. So we'll see. Yeah, I wasn't at that ASU GSV, but I remember when that came out because it got shared around and I probably had three or four people send me the YouTube video and, and it was it was really it was really neat. So maybe in the last couple of minutes we have, um, we could kind of talk a little bit about uh, kind of how you conclude the article, which is like, how can we capture these lessons learned and kind of sustain them going forward? And I'll just share one thing we're doing here, which is we we have had this digital learning course redesign initiative, which predated the pandemic. It turned out to be actually good timing because we had a bunch mm. of faculty that were kind of ready. Um, but as we've continued that and extended it now um, into its next phase, one of the things we've identified is that we're trying to fund is tell us what you learned through the pandemic that worked, that we could do some additional experimentation on or that we could potentially scale to other faculty who maybe didn't hear about this method that you came up with. And so it's, it's a very specific pandemic response innovation kind of seeding to try to identify those those flowers and grow them more into into a garden we'll see how successful we are oh, that's but that's that's yeah. one strategy you know i think in a way um it's it seems like it's two things of that right there's they're identifying something worthy of being a model not just a, a thing a professor came up with and then and then actually getting it out to more people and so it seems like what I, what I was hearing uh, was a mix of that from the people we talked to or what we heard is, you know, A, like have enough, has, have universities done enough to capture the lessons? You know, that, that came up. I heard that um, especially from Matt Raskoff at Stanford, Matthew Raskoff, excuse me. Um, he, you know, it seems like their um, center um, 
is really trying to do a very research-oriented, rigorous project to go around the university and find out what kind of things happened that might have might just be forgotten that, that you know, and, and what they were, um, and obviously whether they were, you know, how well they did, but it's also just kind of documenting what just happened in a way that doesn't lose some things that could be a flower, but that particular professor doesn't have the interest or, um, or, or time or whatever to like make it, make it something that gets picked up. Um, and then of course the other question that has come up a lot, I think during the, during the pandemic, and I think you guys worked on a lot is professional development, right? In general, like how do you, whether it's specific ideas, um, or models, but also just how do you, keep people up to date um everybody got a crash course on the tools that are there today but you know zoom may not be around forever who knows what the next thing you know you and i are on maybe even a headset on or not i don't know like whatever it is you and i are doing uh this on in a few years um if it's different like how do you make sure people keep up with it there too right yeah well I look forward to interviewing the Jeff Young hologram at some point in the future or being interviewed by the Jeff Young hologram. So, Jeff, that was that was great. We could talk so much more about that article, but we'll definitely share it in the show notes uh, for the episode. And um, for uh, Kelvin and myself, thank you so much for being on TopCast. Great. No, thank you. Well, Tom, that was your interview with Jeff Young. Yep. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. Uh, any time I have a chance to talk to Jeff, I always learn something. And as we alluded to, he and I had had dinner Mm -hmm. uh, together with a big, large group of people at South by Southwest in in March, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I was fortunate to sit next to him Mm -hmm. (laughs) and got to have a nice chat and learn some things and, and discuss some stuff. Yeah. And, and a shout out here. I mean, maybe it's, um, maybe it's more of a novelty now than anything, but I really just appreciated the mini series that he did back in 2020, those pandemic campus diaries yeah. mini series. I thought that was excellent. I guess now it's as much time capsule and historical documentation as anything else, but that was excellent, I thought. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of maybe pull one of the threads that we talked about, this his um, his observation of the MOOCs mm-hmm. and the connection to the potential hype to go back to mm-hmm. your hype versus mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. Um you know, as an analogy to what's happening with the metaverse now, mm-hmm. you know, MOOCs still exist, mm-hmm. but they have evolved significantly since 2012. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing mm-hmm. that they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder what will happen with the metaverse if there's a, there's a, seems to be a lot of hype around it now. Mm-hmm. Some of it seems a little forced by mm-hmm. corporate mm-hmm. entities that want us to buy things to support the metaverse. But, you know, will there be legitimate educational use cases for that? You know, probably, but I just I haven't quite seen a scalable version of that yet. Yeah, I feel like at this point there should be an obligatory inserted shout out to the Gartner hype curve in mm-hmm. here. I don't I don't recall you two mentioning that. You didn't, but, but I'm a big fan. <laughs> Me too. The trough of disillusionment. disillusionment. <laughs> yes. right. yeah. And the plateau of productivity or some such. Yes. Uh, Yes. I find great wisdom in this small device. It's like, yeah, there's going to be elevated things and then you're going to be completely devastated. And then maybe, hopefully, you'll find some reasonable place for this 
innovation. I saw one recently when adaptive learning had come out of the trough of disillusionment. It oh, was, good to know. It was, yeah. It was We're so nice happy to, for it. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> I was pleased because I've been cheering it on for many years now. Yes. Maybe another shout out, um, self-servingly perhaps, to our first, first uh, model, you know, for leading um, innovation and change. Uh, we had a podcast episode. We'll stick a link in the, the show notes and we've done a book chapter and several presentations around that. I, I was thinking about uh, in particular, the advice that we've given to stay tuned in to trends and choosing when to put your, I don't know, proverbial toe in the water. Like when do you just sort of sit and watch and mm. when do you actually start to get involved on in some way? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a, a, a good um, reference um, mm. for this conversation and, uh, you know, maybe we can include that in the old – the old show notes. Um, I have a, an article coming out in a, in a forthcoming book from OLC, or chapter, um, about leadership lessons from the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which seems least related to this, although they're a little more generic leadership lessons. They're mm-hmm. not so specific to, um, you know, you must you know, consider flipped courses or, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really talk about that. Mm-hmm. But um, when that time comes, I will do a a shameless plug yeah, yeah, yeah. for that, and maybe we'll we'll you know cite this this episode back. Yeah, I, I think I think that's helpful. I, I think generally, right, uh, periodically processing kind of where we are and sort of mm-hmm. working to synthesize is so important. We've talked previously a number of times about how difficult it is to predict with any great. Uh, <laughs> uh, clarity, you know, what's going to happen. But, you know, you can, I think there's a difference between predicting and seeking to lead by like, here's advice. You know, this seems like a a good thing to be doing at this point, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, at least informed by experience, right? Yes. So it's looking backwards and looking forwards. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I appreciated the conversation with mm-hmm. Jeff mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, I, I would encourage anybody listening to this to, to check out both Ed Surge and, and the Ed Surge on Air podcast. Um, I've been interviewed on that podcast. Uh, and it's, uh, I, it's one that I really like to listen to. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to try to land us on this episode topic? I will. So I would say that in our field of online and distance learning, it can be difficult to discern the difference between hype <laughs> and the genuinely helpful. Mm-hmm. One can be subscribing to several reputable different news outlets with connections to trusted colleagues with uh, deep expertise, and I think we should. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be uh, subscribing to all kinds of things, including mm-hmm. Ed Surge and, and a bunch of others that mm-hmm. I could list here, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that, that you've got your list as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's good advice. I think that, you know, you hear multiple voices and it helps you make, make sense of things, and I think you and Jeff made that comment that like you may not get to see people all the time or, or, or you know, but what are, what are the analogs? Like what are the other ways that you can kind of virtually hear from people? Right, and right. that's one of them, those kind of, those kind of things. Well, awesome. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll slide in a little timely plug before we get out plug the door. It in. So dear listener, if you haven't already done so, please remember that from now, whenever you're listening to this through the end of September, 2022, if you share a link to TopCast via social media and then email us a link to your post, you will be entered in a drawing to win a TopCast listener mug, not unlike the one I'm drinking from right now. It'll be delivered 
right to your address. Now, you're welcome to share social media posts at any time <laughs> whenever you're listening to this. But if it happens outside of September 2022, you're not going to be entered into this drawing. So send entries to topcast at ucf.edu, topcast at ucf.edu. And it would be really helpful if you'd use the subject line drawing entry. It's just so we don't lose it. Uh, but hey, we'll take it. And the winner will be announced in a future episode after the drawing occurs. So hoping we get a little bit of social media love. Yeah, yeah. Post the post and send us a link. And you too could be drinking coffee out of the fabulous TopCast mug. That's right. Well, Tom, uh, thanks for having that interview with, with Jeff. And thanks for sharing the coffee here with me. Always delightful. And dear listeners, until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.